the flyer from the retail store throws out an advertisement that says, the more you spend, the more you save. You might be familiar with, with Oscar Wilde's uh, sentiment that, that life is simply too important to take seriously. You know what those are. You're familiar with them. They, they seem to be contradictions, and yet in reality, they're what we call a, a paradox. Maybe another example for those who enjoy music. If you're familiar with the Eagles, Don Henley sings in Hotel California. You can check out, but you can never leave. It seems to be a contradiction, two opposing thoughts, and yet, upon further inspection, we recognize that there's actually a profound truth or opinion that is being conveyed through such a paradox. And if a paradox serves that purpose, to really highlight an important point or, or promise, something that, that matters significantly, then we aren't surprised that we find paradoxes in Scripture. And so for these final three Sundays of the season of Epiphany, uh, as we are ushered into the season of Lent, each Sunday we will focus on a different paradox. This morning we look at, at strong weakness. Next Sunday, loving hate. And then the final Sunday, Transfiguration Sunday, visibly hidden. Paradoxes that, that we pray don't leave us more confused or confounded, but offer clarity and, and comfort to us, even confidence, as we cling more tightly to Jesus' gracious promises. And through these paradoxes, he draws us closer to himself. And so this morning, as we begin this series, we look at this idea of strength and, and weakness we pray that as we revisit it, we may need to even rewrite our understanding of where true strength is found. In a lot of ways, in our American society recently, the view, the ideas of what is strength have kind of changed. Sure, there's always strength associated with, with power and success and authority, but, but I think there are some changes, even for the better, in recent years that are worth noting. We can, as a culture, have a, a much more open conversation about something like people's emotional health without immediately concluding that it is a, a weakness to talk of such things. And that was reinforced not in the current Olympics, but the most recent Summer Olympics. You, you might recall a day in the Olympics where if an athlete would have withdrawn from any event for any reason other than physical injury or limitation that kept them from being able to compete, anything else would have been perceived as weakness. And yet, one of the greatest of, of all time gymnasts pulled out from events because she wasn't confident of where she was emotionally, and she was praised and thought of as brave and strong for doing so. And along those same lines, another area of life is, in the past, those who had been victims of domestic or sexual abuse, it was just understood that they would stay quiet, they would stay silent. And yet today they are encouraged and emboldened to speak up, to speak out and share their traumatic stories so that, that those travesties are brought to light. So these are good things as we, as we kind of come to grips with what weakness and strength are. And yet, 
even for those advancements, we acknowledge that there is always going to be a limitation. There's always going to be a shortcoming because even this progress of being able to, to comfortably talk about weakness still has the same issue as its underlying problem because the focus of the source of strength is still self. And as long as that is the, the source of our strength, mankind is always going to be disappointed and let down. Because no matter how much we might advance as, as a civilization or as a human race, if our source of strength is self, it will always crumble. Which is exactly what happened for Adam and Eve, our first parents. They, they relied on self, they looked to self for strength, and they tragically stumbled into sin. And ever since then, sin guarantees that anybody else who wants to follow that same course of action to rely on self for strength is inevitably going to experience the same result of, of failure. The saint who, who relies on self for strength in the face of temptation is asking for trouble. In, in, in a marriage where the husband and wife rely on self as the source of their strength, they're asking for more trouble, more hardship, an uphill battle in their marriage. And even the, the Christian who relies on self for strength rather than word and sacrament will not be bearing that name Christian for very long. Because when self is the source of our strength, inevitably it will disappoint and it will let us down. And Paul acknowledged that, actually, not in this letter, but the one that he wrote prior to it to the same believers in the city of Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he pointed out what happens when we rely on self for strength. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, he warned, So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Be careful that you don't fall. When you are standing firmly on your own laurels, on your own strength, be aware, be careful. When you, when you look at your own two feet, when you look in the mirror, be ready because a fall is coming if that is the source of your strength. So what then was Paul's solution? Well, you, you heard it in our second reading today. It was a paradox it was a paradox that he lays out for us in the section of Scripture that we had before us. He says in that last verse, verse 10, When I am weak, then I am strong. And this wasn't just a, a neat-sounding phrase that Paul threw out there. He actually experienced this. He was speaking from his own experience to recognize how true this was. He explained that in verses 7 through 9. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We're always curious, what was this thorn in his flesh? What was causing him this hardship? And we can speculate, but, but it doesn't matter because we all can relate to a thorn in our flesh. And for the same reason, 
Paul had been given some revelations and, and, and God, to keep him humble, allowed this thorn in his flesh. And, and we too, for different reasons, experience that same kind of conceitedness, that, that vain, that vanity, when we focus on self for the source of our strength. So it doesn't matter what the thorn in the flesh is. We have experienced it and we've gone down that same path asking the Lord to take it away, which is exactly what, what Paul did. He pleaded to the Lord, take it away. And the Lord gave him all of our favorite answers to prayer. No. Nope. I'm not going to do it, Paul. I'm not going to take this thorn in your flesh, this hardship, this challenge. I'm not going to take it away from me. And pay attention to why. This was not just because the Lord enjoys toying with his people but rather because the Lord in saying no rather than the yes that he wanted, the Lord knew that he had something far better in store with his no than Paul could have ever imagined if God had said yes and removed that thorn. Because through it, the Apostle Paul learned to lean on God's grace. Now think about that as you reflect on your own prayer life and what that means for you, recognizing that sometimes God's no is far better than, than your yes. Well, always. But might that impact or, or shift the way that you pray? What if your prayers, instead of, Lord, take it away, shifted to, Lord, let it stay. Let it remain. Let this difficulty, this hard season of life, let it remain because then I will learn something that I can only learn when I stop leaning on me and more on you. Then I will learn that your grace is sufficient and that you extend it to me in abundance. And we can only learn that lesson the hard way when we empty ourselves of, well, our own perception of, of strength. When we realize how truly weak we are. And Paul also illustrated what that looks like. When, when individuals, when believers are led to realize and recognize and embrace their own weakness and then forced to lean on the Lord for strength. To another group of believers, the Thessalonians, Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, let me go look up the reference, I Blanking on it here. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 8. He says, For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. So Paul is sharing his confidence, his excitement with his people, not because they were leaning on themselves, which he pointed out to Corinthians was not going to work, but he said, Now we live. Now we have joy in our lives because you have learned to live and stand firmly on the Lord. The same is true for us. Now, how does that come about? This is where confession comes in. Because we will not see the value or the need of being filled with grace until we are emptied of everything that gets in the way. And so we confess our sins. We confess our shortcomings. We do that because that allows grace then to to fill us up as only grace can. But as long as we refuse to do so, as long as we cling to, as long as we hide or keep hidden our sin, as long as we continue persisting 
in willful sin down the same path, well, there's no room then for grace to fill us up. So we have to empty ourselves of that weakness, empty ourselves of sin so that grace can fill us up, which is is what we did this morning, which is what we do every time we gather together for worship in God's house. We corporately together confess our sins and then receive the assurance from God himself, though I'm the one that has the privilege of speaking those words to you, that we are forgiven, that we are absolved. Now, if that is good for us to do in God's house on this most holy day of the week when we gather for worship, do you think that maybe that is good for you to do in your own house, your own home, to daily confess your sins. If that is good for our relationship with the Lord to confess our sins in our relationship with Him, do you think that, that maybe that confession would also be beneficial in all of your other relationships as well? Here's the beautiful thing about grace. The more that it fills us up, it actually frees us not to hide behind sin, but to be real about it, to own up to it, to acknowledge it without having to downplay it, not have to put on our fake Christian hat of of no problems, no worries in my life. And we can do that with complete confidence because we know that grace has already covered anything that you would ever confess. And it has covered it completely. That was the confidence that Paul was expressing when he quoted Jesus' words, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect. In weakness. Now, maybe it'll be tomorrow as you celebrate a special meal or, or dinner with a, a loved one if the Lord has given you that in your life. Maybe it's sometime recently that you consider a, a wonderful meal that you enjoyed, followed up by a really nice dessert. And not just good food, but in moderation. So that you ended up your, your meal and your dessert and you were no longer hungry but you were also satisfied. It was just right. You didn't eat too little that you still hungered for more and you didn't eat too much that you felt regret. Really, that's the concept that Paul is capturing in the words sufficient or made perfect. He's saying that that grace is enough. No more than, no less than grace. And so how foolish for us to think that we should or could somehow rely on mostly or part of our own strength, but then let God only fill in the gaps. Or how foolish of us to accept that that grace and realize what a blessing it is, but then add something to it or insist on it. Anything less than only Jesus is not enough. And anything more than only Jesus is an unnecessary additive That diminishes grace. Grace is enough. And Paul wants us to take that away and understand and apply it for every area of our lives. Not just the few little boxes that we tend to compartmentalize things in. Here's my spiritual life and then here's here's work, here's, here's this, and those are all separate things. No. To the degree that we fail to acknowledge our weakness in every area of life, we are only missing out on grace. Because grace doesn't just flood us with forgiveness. It is also what equips us for newness of life. So if I refuse to acknowledge my weakness in my my marriage, in my other relationships, in my finances, in my planning, in my understanding of and relationship with material, physical blessings, 
If I fail to acknowledge my own weakness in any of those areas, then I'm missing out on what grace can really do in those areas of life. And so we submit and acknowledge our weakness in all of those areas so that grace might fill all of those areas up. And you know, the the beautiful thing about this grace is the more that it seeps into our souls, it really changes our perspective or our view on life. Notice I didn't say changes your circumstances or your situation. That's not a promise that God gave. But grace does change the way that you look at life. Because grace is enough. But what about that, that person who slandered and gossiped behind my back And I never had the chance to defend myself or correct or rebuke or admonish that person. And other people maybe even were led to believe what that person said about me is true. And justice was never carried out and I never got to defend my name. What about that case? Grace is enough. But what about my marriage where my spouse doesn't acknowledge, doesn't thank me, doesn't reciprocate all of the sacrifices and and all of the ways that I extend love and kindness and care to my spouse and none of those are are returned? What, What then? Grace is enough. But what about in the workplace where where we just finished a a project and it was exemplary work done, but I did it and I didn't get the credit from it from my superior? Or the other end of that, somebody else failed miserably or did something horribly wrong and my boss mistakenly thinks that I did it. What then? How do I correct or right that wrong? Grace is enough. You don't need all of those things. Because in your weakest moment, God says to you, my grace is enough. And I think a a really neat way that I came across recently that, that that was reflected how that grace shifts our view, our perspective on life was captured by Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice uh, Roberts. He was speaking at his son's ninth grade commencement And he spoke in a way that grabbed my attention and I think just beautifully applies how when grace is enough, we look at things differently in this world. So Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts, just a section, a portion of his speech at his son's commencement. He says, now the commencement speakers will typically also wish you good luck and extend good wishes to you. I will not do that. And I'll tell you why. From time to time in the years to come, I hope you will be treated unfairly so that you will come to know the value of justice. I hope that you will suffer betrayal because that will teach you the importance of loyalty. Sorry to say, but I hope you will be lonely from time to time so that you don't take friends for granted. I wish you bad luck. Again, from time to time, so that you will be conscious of the role of chance in life And understand that your success is not completely deserved and that the failure of others is not completely deserved either. And when you lose, as you will from time to time, I hope every now and then your opponent will gloat over your failure. It is a way for you to understand the importance of sportsmanship. I hope you'll be ignored so that you know the importance of listening to others. And I hope that you will have just enough pain to learn compassion. Whether I wish these things or not, they're going to happen. 
And whether you benefit from them or not will depend on your ability to see the message in your misfortunes. We might rephrase that last part with the words that Paul used in the closing part of of our section from 2 Corinthians. In verse 10, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It seems to be a paradox. Not at all. Not at all when our own weakness leads us to the strength that only God can and has provided in abundance through his grace. So now go, brothers and sisters. Go and grow in your ability to find his strength in your weakness. Amen.